Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My guest today is futurist and author Martin Ford. His most recent book is Rise of the Robots, Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future, a New York Times bestseller and winner of the 2015 Financial Times and McKinsey Business Book of the Year Award. Now, I read a lot of books about policy and technology, and this one is definitely one of my all-time favorites. I've been practically evangelizing about it to my friends, and so I was incredibly pleased when Mr. Ford graciously agreed to talk with me about his work. Mr. Ford, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, my copy of Rise of the Robots right now, it's just full of underlines and comments. It kind of looks like a red pen more or less exploded on it. And so uh, in preparing for this, I, I had a hard time figuring out where to start. And so I thought maybe to start with, you could just tell us a little bit about uh, how, what led you to write this book in the first place. Well, I ran a software company here in Silicon Valley um, for quite a while, and I, I started that back in the 1990s when, when Microsoft Windows was the big thing that was happening then. And, of course, back then, software was shipped on CD-ROMs, and someone had to put all of that in a box and send it to the customer. So there was work there for, you know, for average people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was even in my own little business, I saw how, how rapidly that evaporated as, as the whole business went digital. And, of course, we've seen the same kinds of things in the music industry and, and even with ebooks now um, where tangible products are becoming digital. And I think maybe that's one of the first things that kind of got me thinking about it. And, and what I realized is that, is that AI and robotics are going to come online and kind of scale across lots of other industries as well. So. Uh, this is something that is going to impact really the whole economy, including you know tangible products that aren't susceptible to to becoming digital as well. So, right. I think that's maybe where it began. And then, of course, after that, I wrote my my first book, which is a self published book, "The Lights in the Tunnel," mm-hmm. way back in two thousand nine. Yeah, you know, in, and in the book, you identify what what you term the seven deadly trends, and I, I won't go at them in length, but just so listeners know, uh, stagnant wages, uh, labor's declining share of national income, lower labor force participation, less job creation, higher inequality, smaller incomes for recent, recent college graduates, and polarization. And, and I don't think there's any real argument that these things are actually happening and that they're not good at all, uh, to say the least. But I think where there does seem to be some disagreement is about what's actually behind these trends. And and there are some economists and political scientists that suggest that this is being driven in large part by globalization as well as by uh, political choices that have been made by governments. And now you obviously see technology as a prime factor. And so I'm wondering how significant would you say that technology is as compared to these other factors that are so often talked about? Well, I, I think that in the past, technology has been very significant, but I also think it is just one of many forces that have come into play. I mean, I definitely don't dismiss the importance of globalization or or of political change. You know, the fact that we wiped out all the unions in the private sector right. certainly had an impact, too. So, so the people that point to those things are not wrong. I just think that technology in the past has certainly been one of the most important factors. I'm not – I wouldn't even argue necessarily that it was the most important Okay. However, the, the really the, the the important point that I'm making is that you know that's the past. Okay, that's what's happened already. 
But as we look forward into the future, I think that it's pretty clear that technology of all the forces out there is going to be the most important one. It's going to be the one that really transforms things. And I think there is plenty of evidence to suggest that it's going to make our problems a lot worse. Um, so that, you know, my, my main concern here is looking forward. How, where are we going from here? And, and in terms of inequality, it's already bad enough. But I, I think right. there are lots of evidence to suggest that it's going to get a lot worse. And, and technology is certainly going to be the, the primary driver of that. Right. Now, there are some people, though, who even if they would would agree with you that yes, technology is 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 a big factor, and I think you can make a reasonable case that it's the single biggest factor. That's kind of the argument that I'd have. But they would say, you know, this this sort of thing always happens. It, it's always happened in the past. New technologies uh, come up. There's this period of what some people would call creative destruction. So you have your blacksmiths who end up getting jobs in auto plants and so forth, and then. In the end, things aren't just good, they're actually better all around. And and so the natural question then is, are you saying there's something fundamentally different about information technology and robots that suggests that this kind of virtuous pattern isn't going to repeat itself? Yeah, to some extent I am. And I think the thing that's different that I would really focus on is that the machines are starting to think. You know, they're taking on cognitive capability. They're They're solving problems. They're... Um, making decisions, and, and most importantly, they're learning. I mean, uh, the, the, the thing that's really the driving force behind this is machine learning. And if you look at what's going on with uh, deep learning in particular, one, one particular approach to machine learning, it's really quite astonishing what's been accomplished just over the last few years, and that's something that's going to accelerate. So, you know, it's true that what you say is historically true, that technology has always made workers better off, um, you can look at, for example, agriculture. You know, most people used to work on farms. Now we got one to two percent of people working on farms. So millions of jobs were lost. But of course, people moved on from agriculture to factories, and then they moved on to the service sector. But right. the thing I would focus on is that in each of those cases, they were basically doing routine things. I mean, people used to do routine work on farms. Then they moved and they were doing routine, repetitive work in factories. Now maybe they're doing, you know, you know they're scanning barcodes at, at Walmart. They're working in the service sector. But there's still most people, or at least maybe half the people, maybe more, are doing fundamentally routine things. And all of that is going to basically go away as the result of this technology that um, really is going to be extraordinarily broad-based and displace all of that. So, you know, one kind of disturbing way to think of it, I think, is in terms of horses. Uh, you know, horses for a long time were were essential to the economy. They were right. absolutely essential. And sure. then, of course, at some point, the motor car came along uh, and trucks and all of that, the internal combustion engine, and substituted for horses, and horses were unable to adapt. Um, and you can look at that and you can say, well, that's kind of a ridiculous comparison <laughs> to say that people can ever right. – We're the new horses, yeah. <laughs> can ever respond – you know, suffer that same fate because, of course, people are not horses. People are intelligent, right? right? People can adapt. People can learn to do new things. And so, you know, how can you possibly compare people to horses? And that's true. But, you know, the machines that are going to displace people now are not cars and trucks, they are machines that are beginning to think, right? They're, they're beginning to encroach on that fundamental capability to, to learn and to adapt. Right. Um, and so that's really what's different. And that's why I do think there is a risk at some point in the future, not, not next week, but 10, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, whatever, 
that a lot of people are going to find ourselves in, in essentially the same kind of situation as, as horses. Hmm. Wow. Uh, now, what about some people point to a positive trend of uh, reshoring in the United States, this idea that more manufacturing is coming back to the U.S. And in fact, by, by some measures, we're actually making more in the United States than we have at any point in the, in the past. And some would say, well, as the price of labor in China, for instance, increases, a lot of those jobs that went away are going to come back. And of course, Donald Trump was elected president, you know, in no small part because he said, not only are we going to keep jobs, we're going to bring back these manufacturing jobs. And so are you saying that this is something that we probably can't look forward to happening? No, I don't think the, the factory jobs are going to come back. The factories may in some cases come back. And you, you do see evidence of that. You see companies like uh, Nikes and Adidas, you know, athletic shoe companies, for example, bringing factories back even from very low-wage countries like Indonesia. They're bringing them back here or they're bringing them to Germany to, to advanced economies. But, of course, they're robotic factories, so they've got some jobs but very a very tiny number. So you're seeing that to some extent. The other big thing happening with what you might call reshoring is that China right now is making enormous investments into automation and robotics, and they're doing that in part because they don't want jobs reshoring here sure. and also because they don't want their jobs to, to transition to even lower wage countries, you know, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, and so forth. So um, we're, we're really seeing, a, it, you know, this is something that is a disruption not just here in the U.S. or, or, or in developed countries, but really globally. Um, one of the things that's going to happen, I think, is that the traditional path to prosperity for the poorest countries, you know, has always been – uh, build factories, right, right. And create lots of jobs for really low-skilled people. I, I think that that kind of model is probably coming to an end because what's going to happen is China is going to automate all its factories so it can keep them, and they're not going to make the transition to the next countries, at least not not in in the way that we might have expected. And so, it's going to be really hard for those countries to become um, wealthy. So, um, you know, in terms of manufacturing jobs. You know, they've already, we've always seen enormous losses, not just here, but everywhere. I mean, China has lost enormous numbers of manufacturing jobs as well. It's happening all over the world, and that's going to continue. So, you know, there's just going to be a lot less jobs in factories so, in total. So, so certainly, you know, Donald Trump is not going to bring them all back to Ohio. Right. That's not going to happen. So in a sense, it doesn't really matter who's president. The sort of inexorable logic of automation is really driving this much more so than, than politics. That's right. I mean, it's it's really the technology. And, and I mean, you know, he's going to do stuff like he did with Carrier, right, and save a thousand right. jobs or whatever. And that's going to get lots of visibility. But in terms of having a material impact in terms, you know, really bringing back enough jobs to matter, I, I just – I don't see that happening. It's right. just very unlikely. Now, now there are a lot of people who have accepted this idea that, okay, these low-skilled manufacturing jobs, they may be going away. But most of the people that I know who have white-collar jobs, managerial jobs, feel that, okay, maybe my job will go away one day, but it's not going to happen in my lifetime. I mean, are these people being a little too uh, casual and optimistic about this? Should they be Concern based on the trends you've seen. In, in many cases, they should be. If if you're doing something fundamentally routine and predictable, for example, if you're sitting in front of a computer and 
you tend to generate the same kind of report again and again, or just, you do the same type of analysis again and again. All of that is going to be you know, very highly susceptible to automation. It's happening already in areas like some areas of law, for example. Um, there are even systems that can do basic journalism that can produce new stories automatically. Uh, you, can, you can read one of those stories, and it's not at all clear that, that it was written by a machine and not by a person. You know? And that's already happening. It's going to get a lot better. So I think there's going to be an enormous impact on white-collar jobs of all kinds. Um, you know, and it's not something that where you're talking about your lifetime. I mean, within, you know, it's happening already. So within 10, 20 years, it's going to have a potentially a, a very big impact. So right. definitely having a knowledge job is not a defense against this. In fact, in many cases, it's cheaper and easier to automate a pure information job than, than you know, to build an expensive robot to do what a fast food worker is doing, for example. Right. So it's going to be a lot harder to replace the plumbers, for instance. Right. Well, you know, those are the jobs that are probably safest or what you would call skilled trade jobs, plumbers, electricians, maybe auto mechanics, people that, you know, you, you require skill, but you also require lots of mobility and dexterity and so forth. Um, you know, building a robot that can do what those people do is still science fiction. The same would be true of a, of a job like nursing, for example. Right, right. Um, so those are probably the safest jobs, the jobs that combine skill and problem solving with that need to move around and, and you know and, and and engage in totally mm-hmm. unpredictable environments and so forth. So, but of course the problem is that a lot of those jobs are not what college sure. bound people want to have, right? Yeah. But but one of the paradoxes is that those are going to be among yeah. the, the safest jobs. Yeah, there aren't too many people who dream of their kid growing up to be a plumber or something like that. Right, I mean, it's, but it's, you know, it's 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 going to be a good option for, yeah. for a lot of people. So what about what about my job? Um, you know, you write about the future of education in your book, and you mentioned MOOCs, Massively Online Courses, and, you know, they can have thousands of students, and you suggest that this is something we might see a lot more of, but at least from my perspective, it, it seems like there was this brief burst of enthusiasm for MOOCs a few years ago, and, and a lot of it, it, a lot of uh, my colleagues, you know, academics, sort of freaked out a little bit. But but now it seems to have kind of faded away, and so I'm wondering, was the hype about MOOCs uh, and kind of education being upended was that unfounded, or, or what do you think happened there? I, I don't think it was unfounded. I think maybe it was premature. And, and, and the real challenge there, of course, was two things. One is that the MOOCs weren't really reaching the people that, that really need the education. It, what we found was that the people utilizing MOOCs tend to already have college degrees, for example. And more importantly, there wasn't a mechanism to get a credential that you can use to then show to an employer. Um, you know, and that that really, you know, there's always this debate over what's the value of education. Is it what you actually learn or is it just a credential? And and the fact that, you know, schools like Harvard and MIT and all the rest are basically giving the education away in, in MOOCs, but, but not the credential kind of provides the answer to that, I'm, I'm afraid. So, um, but, I, you know, I think eventually that will change. I mean, I think that... Um, you know the whole approach online that you know will it's inevitable that it will eventually become much more important you know it's not just moocs there's also um technology being developed that you know gives people personalized attention for example you can have essentially a robotic tu- tutor work with individual students um you know and give them individualized right. attention figure out you know how to change the pace of learning to to adapt to them and so forth so i mean these technologies are getting better and better and they are having an impact i think that you know 
at some point we will see a disruption. We, you keep the kind of the long view. I mean, there's a common saying that we tend to really overestimate the impact of technology in the short run and underestimate it in the in the long right. run. I think that that's probably going to be true of MOOCs. I mean, you know, one example you can take, you look at Apple, you know, way back in 19, um, around 1993, I think it was, um, Apple came out with uh, the Newton. Oh, yeah. Okay, which was <laughs> the first, their first attempt at, at, at a kind of a, a device that would allow you to do all this stuff, right? A personal digital assistant. And, um, uh, or actually, it was it was around 1998, I think. But anyway, uh, so they came out with that, and it was not successful. <laughs> yeah. But then, fifty exactly 15 years later, they came out with the iPhone, right? Which is the product that really revolutionized mm-hmm. everything in terms of smartphone. It had ma- it was basically in many ways the same idea, except it had a phone now. Um, but it took about 15 years for the, from the time that they came out with that initial take, which failed, until they came out came again with the thing that was disruptive. So, you know, I mean, we've seen that in technology again and again. If if you allow 10 years or more um, in there, there's plenty of time for, you know, an initial attempt at it that doesn't really work out and then the next attempt that really becomes completely disruptive. So, um, you know, it's not something that you should dismiss just because the first first iteration doesn't doesn't really end up being transformative. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I, I think for decades now, when uh, people have seen technology advance, the, the typical kind of re- reaction has been, well, what we need to do is we need to educate people more. And there's it's a phrase that's sometimes been used called the race between education and technology. And it seems like at least up until now, whenever technology sort of leaps ahead, we've always been able to catch up and get people newer and better jobs by educating them more. And I'm wondering, do you see this coming to an end? I, I think there's a, a high risk that that will come to an end. And as you say, I mean, that's there's a lot of disagreement over that. Many people think that we can still solve this by education. But again, the point I'm making here is that I think that the transition that workers are going to have to go through in order to remain relevant is different this time. You know, in the past, what happened is that people kind of moved from one routine type of work to another routine of work and in order to make that transition yeah they had to go back to school and acquire some new skills but this time i mean all the routine stuff all the predictable stuff anything that that can be predicted based on what you've done in the past for example all that that work is going to essentially evaporate on you know it's going to be driven by machine learning and and robots and stuff and it doesn't matter you know what industry it's in or whether it's a white collar job or a blue collar job if it's fundamentally predictable um, and on some level routine and repetitive, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be impacted. Um, so what that means is that those people that are going to remain relevant and have jobs are going to have to do something non-routine. And that means maybe something creative or something that really involves deep interaction with other people um, in a way that, that at least for the foreseeable future can't be automated. And some people make that transition, but um, I think a lot of people will be left behind. And, and, and the important thing is that just acquiring skills is not going to be enough to make that transition. It's really a fundamental switch in, in right. the nature of the work you're doing. And I think that not, you know, for example, not everyone is going to be well equipped to do a, a creative job and, and right. generate new ideas. I mean, that's not something that, so, you know, everyone in our population is probably going to be good at. So I think a lot of people are not going to 
be able to retrain their way out of this. So, so is it kind of like a, a mismatch in the sense that technology advances more or less sort of according to the, the Moore's Law, as it's called, and, and you can see that, that doubling of power within every, some people say, 18 months, two years, whereas there are certain limits to human cognition and development, and so eventually education just starts to give you a diminishing marginal returns, basically, whereas on the technology side, we haven't seen that, that same sort of limit. That's right. I, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, you know, it's certainly in terms of education, I think we're already pushing at the limits. I mean, you know, our high school graduation rate is maybe 85, 90 percent. And we can't we, we really it's very hard for us to get it beyond that. Um, but now, of course, even high school is not enough. Right. If you want to have a middle class job, you've got to go to college. And we're pushing as many people as we can to go to college. But Many people, especially from disadvantaged backgrounds, don't even graduate from college. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can realistically expect, you know, that we're going to have 60, 70, 80 percent of people successfully graduate from a four-year college. I mean, right. that's, uh, it's probably just not realistic to expect that. And even if we could have that, I, I still don't think it would solve the problem. Even many college graduates today are not finding jobs right. that, that utilize their skills. I mean, a lot of college grads end up, you know, working at Starbucks, right? So, uh, I mean, I think there's already plenty of evidence to suggest that just more and more education is, is not the solution. And, of course, a lot of people talk about STEM, you know, mm -hmm. having everyone study science or technology, engineering. And that's great for those people that are equipped for that and have that particular talent and interest. But you can't expect that everyone is going to do that. Sure. And even if you could, once again, it's not clear that the jobs are going to be there because many, many jobs in those areas are also susceptible. Routine computer programming, mm -hmm. example, is already susceptible to offshoring and increasingly it's going to be susceptible to automation. So um, even if you get a technical degree, that's not going to be a guarantee that, that you're going to have a job in the future. Right. Well, what about what about healthcare? I mean, it's already a, a massive part of the economy, and and every projection that I've seen suggests that there's going to be a lot of job growth in in healthcare related fields, especially for, as as the population ages. And so, do you think that this is another sort of at least for the time being, sort of safe harbor for people, or are are do you see automation, robots, as it were, taking over these jobs as well? Well, I, I think that in general, it's a it's it's a fairly safe area. And I and if people ask me what you know, I'm in college. What should I study? What what you know? I, I would always say a healthcare career is not a bad bet as long as you're doing something that involves interacting with patients. You know, um, not something that's pure information like a radiologist, for example, where right. you're looking at medical scans. That that's definitely going to be susceptible. But you know, something like nursing or a doctor that really works with patients. I think those are fairly safe areas. But you know, the flip side of that is that that's not necessarily a great thing because that burden, of course, is getting just enormous in terms of the cost to society. And so we actually, th this is one area where we want to see more automation. Um, you know, we want to see more, more higher productivity and more impact from technology because, because otherwise the, the cost of healthcare is going right. to loom larger and larger. Um, and there, there are some promising developments there. We're going to see artificial intelligence, I think, become used more and more in, in medical diagnosis and treatment, and that's going to be helpful. Um, there are going to be robots that help somewhat in, in that area in the near term doing specific things. But, you know, as I was saying when I talked about 
plumbers and electricians. The same is true with nursing and elder care. It's really to build a robot that could really take care of an old person is is yeah. still science fiction. Yeah, I mean, we, you know that. But you know it's not going to happen in the near future, and yet there's going to be an enormous need for for that. So. Um, that's one of the paradoxes. I mean, there definitely are jobs there, assisting elderly people, taking care of them. Some of those are going to be good nursing jobs, but a lot of them are really not great jobs. Yeah. Right? They're very low-paying, personal assistant-type jobs and so forth. Um, and, and, of so, course, as, as, more people, uh, as more people go into those fields because there are dwindling job opportunities elsewhere, that's going to drive down wages in those fields even more, we would expect. Yeah, I mean they're not they're not high paying jobs. Um, also, they're not necessarily good fit. I mean, you know, are you really going to take the guy that's now driving a truck and turn him into someone that's going to care for an elderly person? Right. Um, you know, they're you know a, a lot of these jobs are probably will, will tend to be better fit for for women than for men. And what that's one thing you see already is that a lot of the jobs, especially that have been held by blue collar men, are under the, the highest threat and and. Of course, one of the biggest things that's going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years is going to be self-driving vehicles, you mm-hmm. know, cars and, and trucks. I mean, that's going to have just an enormous impact. Um, so we really need to worry about the impact on society if we have huge numbers of blue-collar men that are totally disenfranchised. I mean, right. that's not good in any way for the fabric of society. I think that's pretty obvious. So we're going to have to figure out what to do about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I trying to make, this has all been sort of depressing in a way, but I'm, let me try to put a positive spin on it. Um, I think that at least to some people, a future of, of robots and automation sounds uh, like a pretty good thing. The machines do our work for us and we can sort of, you know, uh, maybe putter around, work a few hours a week. Uh, we have plenty of time to devote to leisure activities or our family or deep reflection on whatever the state of the universe. Uh, is this, you think, longer term, maybe the future you see coming to pass? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the utopian vision. I mean, think in terms of Star Trek, right? That In that show, people have a great life, but I don't think anyone has a nine-to-five job. I right. Mean, uh, that's the vision we can strive for. The, 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 the problem we're going to face, and it's a really huge political problem, is going to be distribution of income, right? A lot of people are simply going to be left behind. If we can figure out a way to solve that, then we can have that utopian vision. If we don't solve it, we're going to end up on the more ut- dystopian side where we've got massive inequality and people that really can't survive. And I, that's why in, in the, my book I argue for you know, essentially a universal basic income or something like that at some point, and that's – Politically, very difficult just in terms of doing that kinds of redistribution, but I think it's an idea that becomes almost inevitable, and it's also a big value shift. Um, I mean, I think if you talk to the blue-collar workers that are going to be at risk of losing their jobs driving trucks, for example, they'll tell you, "Hey, we don't want a handout. Right? You know, we don't want you to just give us money. We want a job." And you know, it's a problem because that job may not be there, and so it's going to require a value shift. Uh, one way to approach it, I think, is to instead of talking about a basic income, giving people money, begin to talk about a citizen's dividend where we say, hey, this is an economy and a society that we have built, that your parents and your grandchildren built, and we've got all this technology and this enormous prosperity, and everyone as a citizen should have an ownership stake in that. Right. And maybe everyone will derive an income from that in the future. And maybe that's a way to approach it to make it sound better. You know, it doesn't sure. sound like just 
yeah, giving hand people out. Yeah. money for nothing. Um, I, you know, but we're going to have to do some kind of a, a shift if, if, if this is going to be viable politically and also socially and, 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 you know, in terms of our own value system. Um, but I think it's a challenge we're going to have to face because I, I see a future where there just are not going to be enough jobs out there, especially for those average typical people that are not going to have right a PhD from MIT or whatever, right? So, and, and of that, course, part of the yeah part of the problem, right, is that if you have all these people without jobs and without income, then w- what's going to generate the demand to buy the products that the machines are making? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of how our economy's been built. And it sounds like we need to sort of rethink that model if if we lose all these jobs because we're certainly going to have a few people that are making a massive amounts of money. I mean, we see that already at what some people call the superstar effect. And it seems like that's almost inevitably going to increase unless we take some pretty drastic political action. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. I think this is just going to be an enormous challenge for us and um – of course, it intersects with all the other things. I mean, if you worry about climate change, for example, then and there's certainly plenty of reason to worry about that yeah. now, given given uh, sure absolutely what Trump is going. But but you know, you're never going to generate political will to take on that problem if everyone is worried about surviving this week and this month. How you know everyone's worried about paying their rent this month and. People right. are not going to be able to focus on these these longer term issues. So you know, this is just a huge challenge for us, and uh, I'm I'm glad that you know I have a chance to talk to you about it and and get this get more people hopefully that will listen to this thinking about it because I think we need lots and lots of people to start thinking about this and talking about it so that we can have a meaningful debate and discussion about it and hopefully you know arrive at some solutions. Yeah, definitely. You know, um. To give people some sort of practical advice, and you sort of you've uh, touched on this a little bit throughout our conversation, but what sort of in general uh, recommendations do you have for people who are who are worried about their job security, or maybe people who are just setting out on a career? I mean, is there anything that you feel that people can do right now to individually prepare themselves, or maybe try to insulate themselves a little bit? Well, the, I mean, the best advice is to avoid. Being in a job that's routine and predictable, right? If you're doing the same kinds of things over and over again, um, and I don't mean exactly rote repetitive, you know, like standing on an assembly line. Right. If you're facing the same basic challenges again and again in your job, then it's probably susceptible. Uh, maybe a, a simple rule of thumb to say is if, you, if your job is boring, you know, if, if you get bored <laughs> with it. And sure. It's probably susceptible. So avoid that. You know, if, if you're in that kind of job, be, begin to think about, opportunities to transition into something that's less routine because otherwise, you know, you're going to be at risk. And if you're in school, definitely don't study to, you know, equip yourself for a job that, that is routine. Um, right. Think in terms of, you know, doing something more creative or something that really involves working um, with other people in some very deep meaningful way you know um those are the areas that are going to be safest so it sounds like unpredictability is really a a key factor of that right in those kind of new and unique environments and and that's why immediately i always think about the like the skilled trades because you're always going to different people's houses that are set up in different ways and that the the technology to sort of automate that it seems like that might be generations off certainly 
Yeah. So I yeah I think that's right. So you definitely um, you know if another person could just uh, study a record of everything you've done in the past and figure out how to do your job, then probably an algorithm will be able to do that same thing right. at some point. So you know that's that should be a warning to you. Okay. Yeah. Just one final question for you here today. Um, are there any resources that you can recommend? I mean, aside from of course your books and following you on Twitter. Uh, for people who might be interested in learning more about technology in the future and how it might affect jobs, economy, our, our society, that sort of thing? Um, you know, you can follow magazines like Wired and, and TechCrunch. You see the technology there. Um, I, I always like the site Real Clear, Real Clear Technology or Real Clear Future now, which has always got links almost every day to um, articles about how this is developing. But um, – I think the best resources is online because you know, you know there there certainly will be more books about this. But of course, this is moving so fast that sure. if you really want to understand the technology, you you need to really follow it online. But uh, um, I I think it's something that everyone ought to watch because it's going to have a huge impact. Absolutely. Well, Martin Ford, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this Politics Guys interview. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future guests, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news throughout the week, and where you can join in, too, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a dollar or two would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com.